Welcome to No More Risk Better, a Credit Sites podcast. I'm Winnie Caesar, the Global Head of Strategy. And I'm Zach Griffiths, the Credit Sites Senior Investment Grade Strategist. As strategists, we aim to make sense of the macro and the micro, highlighting opportunities and the risks facing the fixed income markets. As important as the macro call may be, we understand that credit investing at its core comes down to keen single name selection, and we at Credit Sites benefit from the expertise of our team of over 100 analysts across the US, Europe, and Asia. This podcast offers a look at the conversations that we have with our analysts on a regular basis. If you are an investment professional focused on the wide universe of fixed income, you'll want to give this podcast a listen. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining the Credit Sites podcast. This is Winnie Caesar, Global Head of Strategy here at Credit Sites. And today we are here to discuss a very serious topic, and that is the future of TV, a topic near and dear to my heart and also the hearts of my guests today. I have Davis Ebert, the Credit Sites head of TMT, who covers high-yield media and telecom issuers, or otherwise known as the problem children of the high-yield market lately. And Hunter Martin, our senior analyst covering investment-grade media and telecom. Davis, Hunter, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us, Winnie. So much enthusiasm there, Davis. Really appreciate <laughs> that. So let's start at the top. There is an awful lot going on right now with what seems to be for content and distribution fights. We had a lot of headlines lately related to Charter and Disney. I realize it's a rapidly evolving situation. Also, Nextstar, DirecTV. What is this all about? What is the model? Is the model breaking down? Give me a high-level overview. So I think two things here are happening in, in my space, at least with the IG media credits. So one is, I think, for the media networks, the economics are starting to break down, right? So we have a situation where content costs keep rising. But subscribers, that's primarily driven by sports. But we see subscriber base shrinking from cord cutting. We see advertising dollars kind of leaving this linear ecosystem, going to streaming and other sources because the audiences are not quite large enough. And this transition to streaming has so far been less profitable. And then on the distribution side, for a company like Charter, we think unfortunately this video is on track to become loss-making in a few years if, if there was not changes in kind of the, the current model. Awesome. Thank you. Davis, do you want to chime in on anything there? Yeah, I think Hunter hit that pretty well. I would just say these disputes have been uh, nothing new for the sector. I think we've seen these uh, disagreements come and go. And so when initially it looked as if Charter and Disney might have a disagreement, I think the market and, and investors said, oh, here we go again. And then Charter decided to host a slide presentation, an investor conference call to show how serious they were about potentially walking away from the video business. And that sort of shook the foundation of the industry and had everyone paying attention and asking if Charter walks away, does this mean the end of the linear bundle, otherwise known as the cable package that we all kind of grew up and lived with? Does that mean the end of this model as we know it? Sometimes I miss the cable package. We cut our cord, proverbial cord, a while ago. And sometimes I just want to flip through the channels again, but I don't have that luxury anymore. I love that the Charter We Mean Business slideshow or, or PowerPoint presentation. I know that when I mean business, I always put together a PowerPoint presentation. So that speaks deeply to how I, I view the world as well. So why would Charter do this? You know, we all kind of bemoan 
our cable companies, right? And there's a lot of customer complaints, cancellations. This feels like a kind of bad move, but obviously they had a, a bigger driver. Sure. I mean, so I'll answer this. And, and I think there's a, there's a few reasons why. So like the first one I kind of touched upon already, I think they found now that it was like, now is the time change is necessary in this model because video for them is on track to being unprofitable. I think Charter saw themselves in a position because right now they're the number two distributor, but I think they're going to pass Comcast within a quarter or two. So they kind of were taking over this leadership position in the industry. But also this is when their deal with Disney was coming up for renewal. And they realized that Disney is kind of, because it is the linchpin of the bundle with ESPN and because its networks together cost probably a good 20, 25% of all that customers are paying for their pay TV bundle. If there is going to be a change, it needs to start with Disney. And that was, I think, exacerbated by the fact that Disney has been talking for a while now. They said, we're going to take this ESPN, this linchpin of the bundle, these exclusive sports that you can only get in the pay TV bundle. We are going to offer that on a direct to consumer basis. Uh, they don't say when, but they say this is happening. And we think it's going to happen in the next year or two. So from Charter's perspective, they're saying, how are we going to lock in to a multi-year deal for Disney's networks, primarily for ESPN, when they're going to go direct to consumer and we don't have protection against that? So we think just this kind of all these events coming together, now is the time. You know, Charter had less to lose, so they were willing to take those angry phone calls and you know, draw a line in the sand. Have we been tracking any message boards with the angry phone call content? Do you have any intel into that? I've been perusing X, formerly known as Twitter, and it's been super interesting <laughs> to follow that. But uh, the, the other thing I would mention on that fear of you know ESPN offering direct to consumer is that Disney and other media companies are trying to get consumers to pay twice. So imagine this scenario. And ESPN has a directing consumer app, and they say, look, we want people to sign up for that too, as well as the linear bundle. So we're going to put this big Texas-Alabama football game on only our streaming service and we're going to leave it off of the cable bundle, right? So now if you're a football fan, you've got to pay twice to see these, all the sports. And I think that's the line in the sand that Charter was alluding to as part of this uh, situation. I don't love paying twice for things. That's not usually my strategy, although I'm sure there are a number of things that I accidentally do. As a mom, um, I will say like Disney Channel and Disney Plus, right? I mean, <laughs> you're paying twice if you have cable and Disney Plus. This That's, is why we, know, we cut the cord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no cable for us, but we do have Disney Plus. That is for sure. So what is Disney's point of view in all of this? Does Disney have a different point of view than other content providers, maybe like Paramount or Warner Brothers Discovery? Yeah, I think they all have similar view, but I'll start with Disney's view. So I think Disney, first off, I think they say we deserve a premium, right? They're like ESPN is this linchpin of the bundle. We have premium sports. We have the must have content that people want that draws these big audiences. And I think also they're arguing they're like to date, we have not, we've kept everything on ESPN, all the good stuff. You have companies like NBC putting their NFL games on Peacock, Paramount putting their NFL games, soccer rights on, on Paramount Plus. And they're saying, we've kind of been good to distributors. We deserve these price increases. So that's one thing they're saying. Um, also, Charter had this ask. They're saying, why don't you include your Disney direct-to-consumer services? Throw them in since, you know, you're moving content to them anyway, away from the Disney Channel toward Disney+. Plus. You should just include this for a linear customer. And I think there, Disney's saying, 
listen, we are investing a lot in original content for these streaming services. We are not really using the same content on both services. We deserve to charge separately for that. We have all this Disney, Pixar, Star Wars, Marvel films and library. So like we should get extra money for that. We should be allowed to, to do that. And then Disney's also saying they acknowledge, listen, the linear bundle is declining, like that ecosystem is declining, but they're saying also we need to keep this long tail revenue stream to kind of support this transition. And this is what other companies like your Warner Brothers Discovery, your Paramount are also saying. They're also talking about, we're still putting in good content uh, to this traditional bundle. Also, we want to maintain the cash generator from the linear side and also work with distributors. I would argue that I think Disney had a stronger leg to stand on than when it comes to versus like a Warner Brothers Discovery or a Paramount or an NBC Universal, because I think they've kept more of their content, like exclusive to the bundle. So I think they have a stronger positioning there. And I think that they're going to be probably more successful right now, the way this charter deal ended, they're going to get compensated for every subscriber for Disney Plus. And I think some other ones like a Paramount Plus or a Peacock, they might have more difficulty doing that. And they might have to drop some more of their kind of legacy networks, the ones where the content is kind of pulled away from. Yeah. I mean, it makes me wonder, like, at what point do we re content provider has been investing so much into so many different shows and movies and documentaries and all of these things. Like, where is the tipping point? Are you guys oversaturated with content yet? Do you have to watch it all covering cable media telecom space? I watch a lot, but I think basically that the peak point was last year. We had the Netflix correction. We have FX's CEO, John Langraff, every year who was basically predicting the the end of peak TV, but also with the writer strikes, with everyone saying, hey, we need to be profitable on streaming. Uh, with linear declining faster, I think we are actually at that saturation point. So there was a great New York Times article about with the writer strike saying, oh, this is great. People are saying they can finally catch up on all these shows that have come out over the last five years that they didn't get to watch. I don't think the actors and writers probably agree with that interpretation, but it was, it was a good New York Times article. It was an interesting angle. I'd say that's, that's the general entertainment. Let's call it scripted original entertainment. Part of it, sports rights, however, continue to go higher. So right now, between ESPN and the big four broadcast networks and others, they're spending at least $20 billion a year in, in live sports rights. That's probably going to 25 or 30 billion when the NBA deal comes up in 2025. And then the NCAA college football, they're trying to get more money for the 12 team playoff. So the sports rights piece, and this is why this was so important for ESPN, continue, that cost continues to go higher. Yeah. So that's an interesting point, kind of the difference between sports rights and scripted content. You know, Davis, some of this feels a little bit to me like the old diamond sport shenanigans that happened and high yield broadcast bonds have been pretty hardly hit by pretty severely hit by this. Is that an overreaction? Are other people kind of extrapolating incorrectly Disney charter, you know, to a diamond sport type situation? What, what do you make of that? Well, I think diamond sports was a little bit of an isolated incident. So if you think about it this way, the model of an RSN, a regional sports network, is you pay the teams a fixed price with escalators, and then you monitor it through the linear bundle by making sure it's carried on all of the MVPDs, whether it's Charter, Comcast, Dish, DirecTV, it's all of them, right? And what happened with diamond sports was Dish said, we don't need these original sports. We're going to drop them. And then YouTube TV dropped them and then Hulu dropped them. 
Diamond Sports subscribers went from around 75 million down to around 40. And so that they were, they were toast. <laughs> so that's the risk. If something were to happen with ESPN, where Charter says, we're not in the video business anymore. And then everyone else sort of, you know, plays the same game. Like that sort of tail risk applies to ESPN. But obviously ESPN being owned by Disney, they have a ton of content outside of sports they can leverage. ESPN has, they've got baseball, hockey, football. You know, they've got just an incredible wealth of sports rights. The regional sports networks basically had the local team. That was it, right? They were kind of a one-trick pony. So it definitely has echoes of D-Sport, but D-Sport kind of had its own very specific issues. Um, the broadcasters are in a different business, so uh, they are very much more tied to the NFL. And the NFL continues to be the kingmaker asset. 80 of the top 100 programs last year were NFL football games. So that it continues to be what drives the uh, broadcast. Uh, wow. Economics. Seriously, NFL? People watch the NFL? I thought everyone was into college football. I don't really follow the ball sports. That's not really my thing. But really? NFL? Oh, absolutely. AD, yeah, it's the mass audience platform out there. I mean, the Super Bowl is the Super Bowl. I haven't seen the ratings for this past weekend, but I imagine they're incredibly high. Davis, I will tell you, I just checked Sunday, U.S. Open tenant, men's tennis final, 2 million viewers. The Fox game between which Giants blowout, 20 million viewers on linear. So 10 times. Wow. More viewers. All right. So people still watching football and kind of watching tennis. U.S. Open is tennis, right? I'm showing all of my weak spots here. Last week, it, last week it was tennis. However, there is a there is a golf tournament known as the U.S. Open. Oh, <laughs> there's that too. I'm better with golf. That's more of, more of our sport. So let's talk a bit about broadcast. So can't I just like get some old rabbit ear antennas and you know somehow hook those up to my flat screen TV and get broadcast? free over the air. How, how do broadcasters get paid? Yes, absolutely. I actually did it last weekend because my local Fox station is fighting with AT&T DirecTV. So I did not have the Carolina Panthers, which was a problem for me. And I basically bought a $30 antenna off of Best Buy and I attached it to the TV. I just threw it behind the TV. I was like, let me just see, see what kind of reception I get. And then if it's a bad picture, I'll put it somewhere else. And lo and behold, it was a great picture, all HD and free. And so that's, you know, something that more and more people are doing. About 20% of households are over the air. Now, the, re the broadcasters don't get paid in that case. They get paid only when you subscribe to a linear distributor, like a chart or a Comcast. But I think the one thing people like is the convenience. And you have DVRs, you can interact with that content. It's very simple. You don't have to change the source on your remote. If a storm rolls in, you still have cable, but your over the air signal might get messed up. So there are those sort of annoyances about it that make it less than perfect. All right. I'm going to go to Best Buy and buy some antenna for our TVs and then continue to not watch TV because I just don't. So let's wrap this up. Kind of uh, our, our end cap, if you will. How can investors think about appropriately positioning for the future of TV in both investment grade and high yield? Hunter, I'll start with you in investment grade. Sure. I mean, for investment grade, so we just had this charter Disney situation was resolved, but we are still cautious. We think there's still going to be a lot of hiccups along the way. So we think you should skew your exposure to companies with balance sheet strength 
It's helpful to have a company that's diversified. So a Disney that has this massive parks business, that's great. Also free cash flow generation. We think that investors understand people wanting to reach for yield and like a paramount or something, but given, you know, there's all this uncertainty and secular pressures that we don't think have fully played out yet, probably hold off on doing that for now. And then finally, I would say we like broadband over these kind of cable networks. So we still like charter trying to kind of reach for yield. Just, yes, there is some pressure there from competitors, but we feel just much more comfortable forecasting for these cable companies three, five years out or for the media companies. You know, even beyond one or two years, it's, it's very finger in the air. A lot of things can change with them. So that's how I'd summarize our investment strategy for investment. Great. Thank you, Hunter. And Davis, how about for high yield? I think that one of the issues is this feels kind of asymmetric where like if it's all status quo, like what's the upside really? I mean, it's might, there might be a little, little to gain from a relief rally, et cetera. But like the downside, if the linear bundle ever does fall apart and it didn't in this case, and I think that's positive, the downside is, is significant. I'd say like the, the bundle you could even argue in this case, maybe got a little stronger if you can get streaming services with your cable package. And I, I think ultimately that's a good thing. I like being kind of tied to pure play broadcast. So Tegna, great balance sheet, pure play broadcast, they're not, you know, moving into sports and they're not moving into things that are potentially introduce more friction to the distribution content relationship. Great TV is another one. A great TV does not have as good of a balance sheet as Tegno, but uh, they also kind of play in that same, in that same realm where they are primarily broadcast. You know, the ones we would stay away from would be, you know, Sinclair, EW Scripps, which has a lot more. ABC stations and, and more advertising exposure, don't want to get too far into those weeds, but, and then also Nexstar, which actually fighting with direct TV right now. So we think that's something we're a bit more cautious on. Great. Thank you so much, Davis. And thank you, Hunter, also for joining. Thanks for anyone listening today to the Credit Sites podcast. If you have any follow-up questions for me, Davis, or Hunter, please feel free to reach out to us via the Credit Sites website. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Thank you, Winnie. Credit Sites Disclaimer. All price references correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither Credit Sites nor its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information contained in this podcast. Credit Sites is not providing investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, is not providing research or making any recommendations, nor is Credit Sites offering or soliciting any transaction with respect to the purchase or sale of any security. The receipt by this listener of this podcast is not the giving of advice by Credit Sites or its affiliates.